What is up, everyone? We are back with another episode of Shaping the Culture. We got a friend back in the building. He was What's here up? last season. Your prayers are narcissistic. Had some great feedback. We got Nahum in the place. How you doing, bro? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're a little stiff, bro. You good? Yeah, I'm good, bro. <laughs> we have a really important conversation today, so yeah, I'm really he, excited for it. He's locked in, bro. He's ready. He's got that mamba, mamba like, mentality. Look, that yeah. mamba mentality. So, shout out LeBron James. Shout out to Le he just won his title, his fourth title. <laughs> shout out, salute to him. Anyway, so yeah, I'm really excited about today's uh, topic. Uh, what we'll be diving in today is a bit serious. We're going to be talking about money and uh, we don't um, claim to have all the answers. And this is, again, we say this like almost every episode. This is a conversation starter. And so hopefully this invokes thought, this invokes conversation, this invokes uh, study and research and so on and so forth. But yeah, we just want to talk about uh, why it's important to kind of pay attention to what's going on right now. And uh, before we get into that, I uh, just kind of wanted to give a background on where we're at um, with how we perceive finances and economics yeah. and so on and so forth. And so I'll just start for me growing up now, you know this, I was never big on money. Right. Yeah. So I was just kind of like, I'm the kid that's going into ministry. I, I accepted the fact that I was going to make 30 K a year. <laughs> I accepted the fact that I wasn't going to have a bunch of uh, cash flow or what have you. And I was like, yeah, suffer for the gospel, man. My treasure is in heaven. I was one of those guys and uh, I was really cool with it. But the older I've gotten, the more mature I've got in my faith, I think my ambitions have shifted and my outlook has changed. And you, know, you and I talked about this a little bit. Uh, for those who don't actually know, uh, me and Nahum talk about money a lot. Correction. I we, ask talk about, we talk about everything a lot. We do talk yeah. about everything a lot. Uh, this is the guy to go to. He just knows too much about everything. Um, but uh, you're, you're kind of like my go-to guy when it comes like to finances. One of them where if I have questions on where to invest, what, what do I think is going to happen next? Yeah, all that good stuff. But as I kind of grew in my convictions, um, I was like, whoa, I need to make money um, because I thought for the longest time about money through the lens of my life. But when you take a step back, you realize, man, this is bigger than how I'm going to fund uh, my life, how I'm going to pay for my bills. Like when we think about kingdom, when we think about like the church, when we think about building our communities, when we think about living generously, when we think about leaving an inheritance for your children's children, that's like, I was like, all right, it's, it's time to level up a little bit here. Um, and so, but the biggest turn kind of took place in my life this past year with everything that's been taking place or everything that's been happening in the U.S., uh, specifically the, our civil unrest and the whole George Floyd situation. And um, you and I talk about this clip a lot, but in the beginning of the summer, I think Lecrae, when he was out protesting, he had a video and he was like going in and, you know, just, you know, saying back the chance or what have you. And then in the middle of all of it, he just kind of, he just looked tired. He looked <laughs> fed up. He looked desperate. He said, start that business. He said, just start that business. And I thought that was like, what is he? what is he talking about? Like, what does money have to do with first sight is seen misplaced, right? For uh, yeah. But then the more I thought about it, conversations with you, I realized like, man, if we really even want to um, bring about justice, 
we can't ignore economics and economics has a huge role in the racial disparity that we see in our nation today. And, um, yeah, I mean, for those, um, who don't know, I mean, when you even think about the old Testament, you know, they were under a theocracy, meaning, you know, the, the church ran the state essentially is, is what it means. And so they had a different way of going about how they took care of the poor and it was predominantly um, instituted by God's law. There's four different ways they would do it. One would be they would release debt every seven years. So that's pretty dope, right? right. Or think about if you have, whether that's college debt, maybe you got a mortgage, maybe you owe someone some money. Um, every seven years, you were le- relieved of every single debt that you ever had. And so that was one way. So God's heart is to eradicate poverty, but in the same breath, poverty is going to be a part of our human existence because of sin. And, you know, you got disabilities, you got natural disasters, you got, you know, injustices taking place. Like, although we do what we can, you know, kind of get rid of poverty, poverty is one of those things that will always be there. So one of the ways they would try to get rid of poverty is by releasing debt every seven years. The second they call is gleaning. And what that would entail is these landowners, right? These these farmers that would have a bunch of crops and harvests. Um, what they were uh, commanded to do is they would have to leave a certain amount of their land uh, um, kind of reserved for the poor. So they weren't allowed to take in all of their harvest. So they were allowed to take um, a certain amount. This is kind of like, yo, this is how much you made. This is what belongs to you. But they were required to kind of leave some for the poor. Um, But there was also rules against uh, 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 people that were um, poor, that they couldn't take more than they weren't allowed to, meaning like God doesn't have a problem with, you know, making money or being rich, right? But there was rules that would set um, set rich people up to not kind of grow cold towards the poor. Or to exploit the poor. Or to exploit the poor. So they were commanded like, yo, you can have about like 90% or so of your harvest, leave the, the rest for the poor. So that was another way they kind of served the poor. The third thing you see is tithing. Um, there was, you know, they tithe for different reasons. One of the reasons why they tithe is every third year they would collect the tithe and they would have all the people that were, um, poor or in debt or whoever needed cash flow to come into the temple or what have you. And they would just kind of collect all the money to kind of take care of the needs. And so that's pretty cool. Every three, so every seven years you're relieved of debt. And every three years, you got some money you can collect from the church to kind of help you out if you're struggling a little bit. And then the fourth was this year called the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee is every 49th year. So every seventh, seven year, um, literally like what would end up happening was um, the if you had lost your land for whatever reason, you had an opportunity to kind of regain that piece of land. Um, the heart behind it is every generation kind of has a chance to redo, right? So if their parents made a mistake, they have the opportunity to kind of, you know, take over again and, you know, make right on whatever wrong that their parents committed. And so it was just this thing set up so that every generation had a chance to acquire wealth or 
to, to be okay financially. And so as I'm kind of studying and reading and thinking about all this, I was like, wow, one of the ways in which you kind of take care of the poor is by you yourself funding them. So, I mean, you have some things in place like tithing where they come into the temple and they collect some money, but it's really like these people that have money that are able to help others. And so I was like, uh, I don't mean go, to cut you off, yeah, but go, yeah. one thing that, that tells me through everything you just listed off yeah. is that God understood um, the power of rebalancing, right? Yeah. Sometimes hierarchies, you know, get out of balance, they get out of whack, yeah. and there's too much uh, distribution to, you know, those at the top, or yeah. those the wealthy, the haves, right? Yeah. But you see things like the debt jubilee or, yeah. or the tithing yeah. that, you know, we saw, we saw that tweet that I was telling you about, that yeah. um, like with tithing, it's not just about you giving of yourself to some to a system or to, yeah. you know, to a person when you're giving to the poor, but you're also relieving yourself yeah. of the power for money to enslave you. Enslave you. So yeah. those systems tell me that God understood that hierarchies at times can get out of whack. Yeah. And these are preventative measures in place yeah. to make sure society structurally yeah. can still, you know, have balance. That's good. Yeah, man. And that's cra- like, it, it's so dope. And I know you and I were talking about this, but um, they're actually thinking about implementing the year of Jubilee. Right. That's a whole yeah, nother conversation. We'll get there. Yeah. So anyways, for me, I was like, yo, if I really care about justice. Right. So I was already I mean, there's verses like in, in first Timothy was it first or second Timothy. There's a verse that yeah, first Timothy five, eight that literally says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So meaning if you don't got your finances in check, if you can't take care of your relatives, if you can't take care of your family, if you can't leave an inheritance for your children's children, the, the Bible is literally saying you're worse than an unbeliever. That's crazy to me. So I was already crazy. on this path of I got to start acquiring wealth. But this year with all the civil unrest, the racial tension, I was like, man, looking at how God dealt with things Yo, it's one thing to hold the government accountable, but in the same breath, how am I positioning myself so that I could actually help those that are disenfranchised? And you and I have talked about, you know, how you, maybe you can re, uh, um, articulate this better than I, but how economics has a huge part to play in the disparities that we see. Um, it's not always simply like what's going on racially. Um, but for for me, you know, and I'm not over here trying to adopt this prosperity gospel. In just a second here, I'll kind of talk about the 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 conversation, this poverty versus prosperity gospel situation. I think that's also hindered us and played with us and uh, threw us off uh, track a little bit. But we'll get into that in a second. But um, that for me is where I'm at. I'm thinking about how can I support my family? How can I retire my parents? How can I ensure my children go to college? And then how could I fight for justice? And so these are kind of the the convictions that led me to a place where I'm like, yo, I'm trying to I'm trying to really acquire wealth. And uh, don't be twisted. There's money out here to be made. There's money out yes, there. Yes, sir. You know what I'm saying? And so, but yeah, for you, how did you kind of get to a place where you're like, man, I'm trying to acquire? You're an entrepreneur for those who don't know. And uh, this is kind of like you eat, sleep, breathe this stuff. And so, yeah, well, what was kind of how did you arrive here? Right. Perfect. So for me, it's actually kind of the same thing. So 
I was in Vegas from January till March of this year. Yeah. And um, when March hit around, I remember when COVID was just like a really just a Chinese thing. Like the only time <laughs> yeah. that you could say Chinese virus and it really made sense. Yeah. But during that time, we were just talking about it on Twitter. I seen tweets on Twitter and things yeah. of that nature. Yeah. And I was just like, man, this COVID thing is getting crazy. Yeah. But I never would have, never, yeah. ever would have expected it to be like this. But yeah. it turns around in, in March, yeah. I actually lost my job. So yeah. I, am an, I was an entrepreneur, so I was trying to start a business. Yeah. But at the same time, I was working a part-time job. Yeah. And so I was yeah. like, man, so I lost my job. And that's right? why you were out in Vegas. That's why I was to, out in Vegas in the yeah. first place, was to yeah. start a business. Yeah. And uh, the same uh, capital investor that was going to fund a seed round for our business, yeah because of COVID ended up, you know, backing out of the deal that we had. So we had a verbal agreement, nothing was in writing. And he ended up saying like, look, this is not a good climate to be, you know, trying to invest into a startup, especially one with your type of risk profile. So I was hit with two pieces of really bad news, Mm -hmm. not having a job Mm -hmm. and also not having my business funded. So I had a lot of downtime since March till now. And I was in the same boat. I was like, man, I'm in such a position of, dependency yeah and i realized i made a really bad mistake i made a miscalculation because mm. since i've graduated which is i graduated in 2017 yeah i realized you know having trying to get investors on board to a project and not being able to fund the business with my own startup capital yeah. i realized from there i was already in a position of dependence to begin mm. with and i wasn't self-sustaining in any sort of way yeah. especially economically so yeah. You know, I sat there and I really pondered on that. Mm. And for me, like, I was just like, man, I need to really understand economics just out of not just from a desire to learn this yeah. stuff. Yeah. But this stuff, like you were saying, like it truly impacts yeah. our, our lives yeah. and our livelihood, our ability to provide yeah. for our families, our ability yeah. to provide for ourselves. Yeah. So for me, I was looking at things just practically like I had time on my hands. Yeah. And I was like, if I understand this, I can better position myself going forward not just for this season but also for the seasons to come yeah yeah so that that's really how i've got here and then in terms of like this moment right now because you've been trying to get me on this podcast to talk about money you know like there's been like we talk yeah not all but we talk about this a lot you've been pushing me in this direction and i've been waiting on it because i felt like I felt like for me, like to get on this podcast and to speak on this, yeah. I had a little bit of self-righteousness, to be honest, because I was just like, why, why is it really my responsibility yeah. for what another man does with his money or for what he knows? Like the information is out there yeah. for him to pursue. Yeah. And that was kind of my mindset. Yeah. But I finally got to this place where I'm just like, listen, like our people, like seeing it from a community perspective and a collective perspective. And I was like, man, this is really valuable information. Why should I keep it to myself? Like if I can help somebody, whether they're an adversary, whether I'm ambivalent about them or whether they're my best friend, like I can do wonders for the community, you know, and this can, this can really go like reach some bounds. So the way I thought about it was just like, let's get on this podcast and let's talk about these things. Yeah. Hopefully to spark the consciousness of the people that are listening. Yeah. That's good. That's really why I'm excited to be here. And uh, this is my personal evolution, my personal journey. Yeah. That's awesome, bro. Excited to have you. Thank you for, you know, uh, uh, repenting of your (laughs) self-righteousness and coming to your sense. Say that, bro. I got to hear that. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so... Uh, before we jump into it, because we're really going to be talking about economics and what we need to know about the state that we're in currently, 
Um, but before we get there, um, you know, we'll probably do a separate episode on poverty versus prosperity gospel. But if you're already thinking, ah, they're trying to build, acquire wealth, they're trying to build wealth, they're sinning, like they're out here um, uh, worshiping money, they're enslaved to money. Uh, I kind of wanted to bring something to kind of your attention and submit something for your consideration. Um, the first is, I think a lot of the times when we listen to pastors who preach these messages or when we listen to podcasts or whoever kind of, um, you know, diminishing the role or the value of money, we have to question their context. And I think that's essential. Um, again, money is not a sin. It's the love of money. And again, that's a whole nother conversation. But a lot of the times when we hear pastors talking about um you know, you got to give your money away, you know, don't try to acquire wealth or, I mean, they don't even really say don't try to acquire wealth. They just, and you know, you got to give it all away. You got to give it all away, live on a minimum, um, budget, this, this, and that, you know, they're, they're talking to people that are affluent, you know, they're talking to people that, you know, own land, own property. They're, they're talking to people that have generational wealth. And so their fight or their, um, temptations look different than maybe people like you and I, you know, that context, you know, they're, they're talking to a, a, a congregation that is very privileged, that has the resources. And so for them to come out and say, you know, you know, you know, you got to sell everything or you can't, um, you can't, you can't have in it. love with money. Right. Yeah. It's like, that's literally like, you know, I, I think KB said this perfectly. He was kind of, I think it was on DJ Wado radio, uh, but he was just talking about, you know, John Piper's don't waste your life. And he was saying it, it like he wasn't um, saying anything bad about the book, but he's just kind of getting at the context. He was just like, that book is amazing for John Piper's context. Like people are falling away from God because they have too much food. In the urban context or in the diaspora context or in the immigrant context, people are falling away because they don't have food at all. Mm. And so when we think about this, like we, we shouldn't demonize money. Money is a necessary tool. And that's the only way uh, we could really live or exist in this life. And so I just kind of wanted you guys to know God is not out here trying to make you poor. Uh, I don't think. I don't think God is also trying to make you the super rich person either. We're somewhere in the middle where we're saying, considering my context, when I think about uh, the family I'm in, when I think about the church I'm in, when I think about the community I'm in, when I think about my surrounding, um, how can I be of help? How could I be the kind of Christian that honors God? And I think, and this might be a bold statement, it would be irresponsible of us to not apply ourselves to make money to take care of those around us, especially with all the resources out there, with all the knowledge out there, with all the opportunity out there. I mean, our parents came out here to give us a better tomorrow and we should take advantage of that. And not, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, you can get lost in that or money isn't a temptation or money can't be a hindrance. But what I am trying to get at is, you know, we got to be very careful not to demonize money because God, uh, uses um, us and 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 we got to make sure that we can't rule out money in the way he uses us. So. Yeah. To so to add on to that, I would just say like 
having kingdom-minded economics is really important. And what I mean by that is having a purpose for the money that we're going to acquire, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I think oftentimes what the culture is predominantly saying is like, mm-hmm. make this money so you can have a leisure, like so you can have more leisure time. Yeah, yeah. Make this money so you can travel more. Make this yeah. money so you can stunt or just yeah, yeah. live in luxury, right? Yeah. But yeah. we really have to have that focus of like, okay, we're making this money, but for what purpose? Because like purpose? you were saying, yeah. money is not like evil, in and of itself but it's what we do with it so yeah. it's a tool yeah. so if, we're, if we have the right heart posture towards our finances and towards the money that we actually um, obtain and receive then we can use that to further expand yeah. not only as kingdom but build up our communities yeah as well. and that is kingdom work you know like as we build our communities we're building the kingdom of god and so yeah man i think you know there's nothing wrong with traveling there's nothing wrong with fashion i think art reflects god um God didn't need to make the stars and the suns and the sun beautiful. He didn't need to make the, all of creation beautiful, whether it's the trees or nature or what have you. Um, in fact, you know, we were at Red Rock. You've been there yep. in Vegas, and we just astonished by the goodness and the glory of God, and we couldn't help but just worship, you know. Um, and I think that we, as image bearers, you know, create and creativity. This is a whole other conversation, but... I think there's nothing wrong with spending money on fashion or there's nothing wrong with spending money on leisure. Um, you know, I, I once heard a pastor say, you know, when you think about money, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta also understand that God has called us to enjoy it. You know, like it's not every dollar doesn't need to go to a responsibility. You know, we could enjoy our money too, but I think what you're trying to get at and what we're trying to get at is, you know, not all of our money should be thrown in that direction. You know, every dollar should have a name on it and we should be intentional with our spending and we should be uh, kingdom minded in, in our spending. And um, yeah, we got to think about building because there's a lot, you know, I don't know about you, but as you're kind of made well aware of our surrounding and the world that we live in, we're going to get into how corrupt things can get. It's just like, yo, where where is the light and the salt? Where are these kingdom heavenly minded individuals that can infiltrate these systems, infiltrate government, infiltrate um, these different pockets or spheres of influence and see kingdom come down. And so, yeah, man, that's good. That's good. Um, But yeah, so I know, uh, you know, the, the main point of the the conversation today is not really talking about the theology of money, although we definitely need to get at that at some point. We want to talk about economics and uh, if you already saw the title of the podcast, you know, understanding the economic machine, understanding the economic machine. But a, a close second was the decline of the American empire. <laughs> I really like that one, but we're going to go with <laughs> the first one. Controversial. Yeah. The, the, so just kind of, you know, the reason why we wanted to go in this direction, him and I were talking, um, we want to we want to be well aware of our context. We want to be well aware of where we are at because that has implications on our investing implications on our savings implications on our spendings. And so what we wanted to attempt to do today is kind of break down uh, where we're at and where we're headed and how COVID plays a role into this or how COVID might have expedited where we are already headed. Say that. Um, But yeah. uh, So yes, like, Economics 101, not home, break it down. What do we need to know? All right, perfect. So 
So like you were saying before, I can really get into where we are presently. Yeah. We really have to like take it back Define. one set of time. So start start with the, just the subject of economics, right? Yeah. So what do what do economists try to do, right? Yeah. So my personal definition, to keep it really simple, yeah. is economists try to predict the f- future, mm. both, both in the intermediate term and in the long term, right? Yeah. So the short and intermediate term especially, though. Yeah. Um, but economics is basically a social science that studies the flow of money yeah. uh production and consumption yeah. the usage of money and basically how individual actors within the economy how they interplay into the larger economic landscape yeah. so they study so there's so many like you know there's macro there's micro there's different schools of thought yeah. but the most important thing to know is economists are probably the discipline arguably that has the most to say about the short and intermediate future mm. so with that being said after you understand the subject of economics, and we're really talking about money, right? Yeah. But one question that I feel like people always misinterpret or maybe have questions around is, what is money and yeah. where does it derive its value and what can be money? I think a lot of people just think that, yeah. you know, dollars is money or euros is money without really thinking about like yeah. its intrinsic value or all the intricacies that come with that. Yeah. So money... And even not yeah. to interrupt you, but some of us don't even think that way. We're just... We make it, we spend it, that's the end of it. We don't really right. know the value in which these... Or where it comes from. Yeah. How is it produced? Yeah, like, yeah. Or how, how do the value of a dollar get... You know, how does the value of a dollar get determined? You yeah. know, or... Why does it fluctuate? There's, why does it fluctuate? Yeah. Why, <laughs> why is it important to trust in gold in some seasons? Or, you know, Bitcoin, that's a whole other conversation. But <laughs> yeah, like, how do we... Yeah, all that. Yeah. Yeah. So like you were saying, I think to really understand money, you have to understand the properties of money. Mm. So there's three main properties that money is. Uh, money is a store of value. Yeah. Money is a unit of count. Yeah. And money is a medium of exchange. So what that means is, so store of value, the simple way to think about it is the money that you earn or the money in your bank or the money in your wallet, right? Um, a week from now, is it going to retain its value? Yeah. Or a month from now, is it going to retain its value? So if something is a store of value, it means you can not spend it or not use it and still uh, reasonably believe that it will still retain its value, right? Exactly, yeah. And then a unit of account, the way to think about that is uh, it's a common measure of value. So the way I like to think about this is imagine um, you go into a Best Buy, right? And you're looking to buy a new computer. Yeah. Imagine if somebody quoted you a price in like bushels of corn, right? <laughs> and then and then you, go, you get hungry and you go to Chick-fil-A and they're just like, oh, we you know, we, it's, it's by grain. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So a unit of account means it's a common measure of value yeah. wherever you go yeah. within like a geographic region. Right. Yeah. And then the last one is a medium of exchange mm. and medium exchange is important because yeah. there's this, like, there's this issue called the coincidence of wants. And the easiest way to think about that is imagine if you're a pianist, right. And you, uh, you have piano lessons, right. Let's say your car breaks down. Yeah. You need to go to your mechanic to get it fixed. Right. Yeah. So imagine you go to your mechanic and you don't have a medium of exchange mm. and the value you have to offer him is mm. piano lessons. Mm. Now, how many mechanics, you know, that are really interested in piano lessons, None. right? Yeah. And, and what are the odds you're going to find a mechanic in a very short order mm. that uh, is going to want piano lessons in exchange for you getting your car fixed? Yeah. So that, so like you said, probably none, maybe one, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so a medium of exchange solves that issue yeah. because money is valuable to, to the mechanic and money is va- valuable to the pianist as well. Exactly. So those are like, those are the three properties of money. Yeah. 
And um, now that I've explained kind of like the properties of money, I think we really need to talk about how money has transitioned over time yeah. and just get a little bit into the, the history of money. So yeah. um, early forms of money, this is like, I'm going way back, like yeah. to the ancient days, like yeah. um, early forms of money were often commodity money. Yeah. And what that means is like, it could be stone wheels, it could be beads, it could be grain. Yeah. So any type of commodity that they can exchange that was a value, right? Value, yeah. Right. Um, gold and silver ended up being the most commonly formed forms of uh, commodity money, like gold and silver coins. Yeah. Um, sometimes they were mixed together mm. and they were called, there's a term for it, it's called electrum. Mm. Now today, there, I actually did a little bit of research and there are still some forms of commodity money just like being used in, yeah. in parts of Africa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in parts, in certain parts of Africa, like Ghana, Uganda, yeah. and Egypt and Nigeria, I found that sometimes they exchange phone minutes oh, for wow. services, for goods and services. Interesting. Okay. And uh, those phone minutes, so the I think this the software or the app um, is called M-Pesa. Okay. And uh, if you're like the vendor, yeah, you can get you can exchange a service and get those phone minutes, wow. and they're able to take those phone minutes and then go to an ATM later and actually exchange currency for really? it. Really. Yeah, Man, that's pretty so, cool. That's different. Never heard of that. <laughs> right. But um, I think one thing we really need to understand about the, why the commodity money is not efficient anymore is a couple simple reasons. Um, they're not easily portable. Mm. Oftentimes, they're not easily really divisible. Mm. And in the case of, you know, gold or, or silver, there could be an issue of authenticity. Mm. And actually, there's an Englishman, a financier. His name was uh, Gresham, or his name was Gresham. Yeah. I think it was like William Gresham, but don't quote me on that. Yeah. But there's actually a term after his name called Gresham's Law. And basically what that states is corrupt money becomes more corrupt over time. Mm. And bad money drives out good money. So let me kind of explain. So let me give you an example. Mm. Like there was a Ro the Roman emperor Denarius, mm. the, guy, the, the guy who's named after the denarii in the Bible, right? Yeah. He introduced... Um, silver coins that had 95% parity, which means 95% pur purity mm -hmm. was silver. And uh, within 200 years, the silver was like 5% parity. Wow. So what ended up happening is wow. the people ended up using, like think about it, right? If you have two coins, right? And one parity is like 95% and another one was like 70%, right? Yeah. And you are going to a vendor, which silver coin would you rather use? You would keep the one with more silver in it and give the bad coin, the one with less silver parity, yeah. and you would use that one to exchange for goods and services. Yeah. And then what they ended up doing is they would store the ones with good parity, and then they would, it's like self-fulfilling. The, yeah, 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 they would yeah. melt it down and then create wow. coin, like counterfeit coins again. Dang. Yeah, it's crazy. So. crazy, yeah. And the same thing wow. actually happened in, in Florence as well. There was an emperor called uh, Florin. He introduced gold coins. That had 98% parity, and then 400 years later, it went down to 77% parity, because gold and silver are metals that you can kind of mix with different alloys mm. and reduce the actual parity within them. Yeah. So that was that was super interesting. Yeah. So one thing to take away from this is like Gresham also had this kind of he had a chart where he had time and uh, corruption on the x-axis, and he had time on the y-axis, huh. and basically he had this thing where. Oh, yeah, where uh, currencies become corrupt and more corrupt over yeah, time until yeah. it reaches this tipping point, mm. and then it crashes 
And sometimes that could be because of a war. Yeah. It could be an introduction of a new form of money. Yeah. Or it could be like a government or regime change. Yeah. So, so currencies get worse over time yeah. until they crash. Yeah. A new one is introduced. Currencies get worse over time until it hitches a tipping point. Yeah. And then crashes and it keeps happening. Yeah. And we've seen that actually happen with government-backed currencies as well. Um, an example is like the Dutch Gilder mm. um, or the pound sterling, which is like the currency for the British Empire. And uh, in my opinion, the US, US dollar, dollar is on that direction yeah. too. So we talked about it's just time. self-fulfilling as money becomes yeah. more corrupt over time. Yeah. It eventually deteriorates and destabilizes. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So I was actually gonna as you were explaining it, I was like, that's a foreshadow of what's to come. What's to come. Yeah. And uh, more on that because I know there's a lot of context to that statement yeah. in and of itself. Exactly. Um but yeah, I know just a quick uh, you know, as you broke down the three different elements of what makes up a dollar, what makes up money, you know, one of the things we talked about is how saving money is almost not a good idea whatsoever right, right. now. If we're thinking about how we want to set ourselves up for the future, because how, you know, quickly the 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 value of the dollar is decreasing. Right. And a lot of that has to do with, I mean, you could break this down more, yeah, but with COVID and just throwing trillions of dollars away and you know we're literally printing money thus devaluing money thus you know what's going to happen you know five years from now or ten years from now so on and so forth and so but how like you can't you know and and i think this even gets into what you're talking about when it comes to um the dollar being corrupted and eventually getting to a place where we're going to have to need a whole new way of um exchanging yeah transacting yeah and to, so, yeah, to go on to your point, like yeah. since 1913, yeah. which is when the central banks were introduced, yeah. um, the dollar actually has declined 96%. So it means That's crazy. a dollar. So that, what that means is a dollar today in wow. 1913 yeah. was four cents. Yeah. So the money That's supply crazy. has has ballooned, right? Yeah. And the dollar has devalued because there's more money, there's more dollars in circulation. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll get back to the, the, the point saving. on savings, yeah, yeah. but there's a lot of things there. Number one, when, when banks first introduced savings, yeah. savings accounts, they actually gave a reasonable rate of return. Yeah. Um, like 6%, I, I, yeah, it was like around that. 6% yeah. rate of return annually. Yeah. And now I think last time I checked most banks, I know I work at Wells Fargo now it's zero point zero point one percent. Oh, zero. Wait, say that again. Zero point one percent. No way. <laughs> yeah. So wow. What essentially the government, essentially the, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason that is, is because the, uh, banks can borrow money so cheaply from the U.S. government mm. at, a, at a, such a low rate, rate of borrowing yeah. interest. Why would they pay us yeah. more interest to have our money in their, in their account? In their, yeah. in their account. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, but essentially my point is like, it's not just the bank side of it, yeah. but the government has had this policy and an, uh, what I like to call, or what economists like to call an inflationary monetary policy. Mm. And this policy has been around for 80 years, yeah. but it's, ex- it's been expedited since the end of the gold standard in 71. Yeah. But it's because of this reason that it was a political choice. Yeah. It's just not it's just not economic ramifications. It was a political choice yeah. to incentivize yeah. people not to save yeah. but for people to spend. spend yeah. So we're doing kind of exactly in a way what they pushed us to do yeah. to because they wanted to encourage investment. Yeah. They wanted to encourage productivity. Yeah. They wanted to encourage um, 
not saving basically yeah. and having money be spent yeah. to encourage consumption the economy yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. it was this is not just something that we arbitrarily do like this yeah. this thing that you were saying oh like we just spend when we, you know what i mean There's it's plan, kind of, yeah, yeah. Psychology. Even uh, the stimulus checks, they didn't give it to to us to be like, hey, you know, times are hard. You should save this or hold this for a rainy day. It was like, we're giving you money so you can spend it. And that's literally, yeah. And what's the game plan for them? Yeah. To touch on that point, what's really crazy about that for me is Andrew Yang was the one who really was the trailblazer for UBI, which is universal basic income. And that, that's doing that right if i'm not mistaken yeah, they, yeah, yeah they've been doing that for a while but um he got the idea from alaska, alaska essentially yeah, yeah. but uh he wanted to do universal basic income on a national scale yeah. it was to give us twelve thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. just for being a u.s citizen it was called he coined it like the dividends act or something like that yeah. but he was considered crazy he was considered like a a leftist yeah. as like oh the government's going to give us money they told us they didn't have this money right. to do it what we're doing right now, every politician from Donald Trump to Nancy Pelosi on the left, who's uh, pushing uh, these spending bills and these, yeah. you know, spending packages, yeah. it's just a form of universal basic income. Yeah. So the genie's out of the bottle now. Yeah. This idea that the government couldn't do it or didn't have the means to fund welfare, didn't have the means to fund these things, yeah. the money was always there. The political will wasn't. Yeah, yeah. That's so. I mean, I don't know if this is gonna influence or uh, redirect our conversation but you know kind of even you know you and i talk about the issue in the united states it's not that we're a free market but the problem is that we're not a free market and how when we do spend trillions of dollars we're spending it incorrectly we're bailing out these businesses or we're bailing out the one percent thus nullifying us being a free market to begin with but yeah like that money could have been used to eradicate student debt altogether, but it's just going into something completely different. But like, I'm just, I'm, 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 I bring that up to add to your point. The money is there. It's just, what are we spending our money on and what is that doing to us and our economy altogether? And people, what people really have to understand is when you say the money is there. Yeah. We got to really talk about how the money is created. Yeah. And yeah. the, so the federal, talk about we're, yeah. we're going to definitely get into this, but the yeah. federal reserve, is the currency issuer yeah we're the currency users yeah so when you say the money is there what that means is they can just print this it's just a, a matter of keystrokes on a keyboard yeah they uh they can debit their account balances and yeah. credit and credit um banks or yeah. Yeah. or credit um you know what i mean the people mm-hmm. um through through the treasury yeah um but we'll definitely get to that i think i need to really explain this point right yeah. here yes yeah, and it. then we're gonna unravel we're the rest of it yeah yeah but um no that was a good point um so yeah, what I was trying to get at with the forms of money and transferring transforming over time yeah. is to really show people that, you know, money is not just dollars. Money has changed over time. The definition has changed over time yeah. from a commodity to a representative backed. And what I mean by that is essentially so when we moved from commodity money, it wasn't like I said with dollar with having gold to transact, it was kind of cumbersome. Yeah. So what they ended up doing is they had the system where banks would hold um your gold in vaults yeah. and what they what they would say is like we'll give you uh, paper certificates yeah. we'll give you you know th- that are redeemable on a one-to-one ratio with gold yeah so we had a rep a gold-backed system yeah yeah and uh sorry that was yeah that was introduced 
during the uh, Bretton Woods in 1944. Yeah. And just a little, really, I'm just going to really briefly on this point. Yeah. The reason that that system uh, was intact and yeah. put in place is because if you think about 1944, this is the end of World War II. Yeah. And the Allies won the war, yeah. right? A lot of the, the nations in Europe were economically devastated. Mm -hmm. I mean, the war was happening on their front, right? Yeah. So economically, they were in a rebuilding phase. And just money-wise, they were incredibly burdened with debt. Yeah. But for the U.S. during this time, they relatively were unscathed, mm -hmm. other than Pearl Harbor. <laughs> but yeah. unscathed in the sense that their economy was still intact. Yeah. They had the most amount of gold reserves. Yeah. So when the Allies got together after the war to create the new global monetary system, yeah. the U.S. had the most um, you know, leverage yeah. in these talks. And so they were able to use that to their advantage to create a system that would benefit the U.S. the most, mm -hmm. right? So they came up with this, this, uh, this plan, basically, that they would have the dollar linked to gold, and they would have all other currencies linked to the dollar. Mm -hmm. So they created this system that in order to get to the real money, yeah. the real gold, yeah. you had to use the dollars first. So it created this like one-to-one -one link with yeah. the dollar. Yeah. So that happened in, in 1944. Mm -hmm. And then in 1971, that's where it all. <laughs> yeah, this is where this is where it really really changes. Yeah, and we'll definitely get into that. But in 1971, yeah, talk about it. Yeah, yeah we do got. <laughs> but President Nixon, ah uh, Nixon, takes us. He takes us off the gold right, the Law and Order yeah. candidate. Oh Nixon, my gosh. you gotta love him. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, Nixon takes us off of the gold standard. Yeah, and he creates what we what economists say is fiat currency, mm. and fiat just means free floating. So that's dollars, that's euro, the yen. The current system we're in is free floating. Yeah. That's why the current that's why there are exchange rates. And yeah. that's why the currencies sometimes get stronger relative to another and sometimes get weaker relative to another. Yeah. So it's it's really for me, I think it's classical conditioning. Mm. So I know, I mean, you're a psych major, so you, yeah. do you remember Ivan yeah. Pavlov yeah. Yeah. and his uh his uh, classical conditioning experiment yeah. with the dogs? Yeah. Remember how initially the dog would salivate when the food arrived? Yeah. And then they rung a bell. And the dog wasn't salivating, right? Yeah. Then they rung the bell, gave the food, and the dog was salivating. Yeah. And then they rung the bell, and then the dog was salivating just at the sound of the bell. Yeah. So the dog ended up creating the association. Even though the food was the valuable thing, yeah. the association was created with the bell, yeah. right? Yeah. And that classical conditioning is what I believe happened to us. Yeah, break they, it down, bro. You got to break it down. <laughs> I'm breaking it down, bro. This is, this but, is keys right here. There has been classical conditioning in, by the government to transition us over time from seeing money as commodity, in, gold, in this case gold primarily, yeah. to saying like, oh, we'll, we'll back it on a one-to-one -one ratio. Yeah. And then now saying, actually, your dollar is what's valuable, and we're going to back it by the faith and credit of the U.S. government. Yeah. So I don't know about you. Maybe that system was able to work for a while. But we'll definitely get into this. And I keep saying that, but yeah. there's so much to this. Yeah. But I don't know about you, but how, how much do you trust the government having this kind of monetary power in terms of telling you like what, what's valuable and, oh, don't worry about this. This is valuable just because we say it is. Yeah. So it's, it's backed by nothing. Yeah. But yeah. the faith and credit of the government. Yeah. How much faith and credit do we give the government? Yeah. Yeah. So break down, man, I... I want to like, there's so much to be said there, but because there's so much to say, yeah, we should still like, to come. Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
what what has been happening behind our backs like why for you because you and i talk about this and you essentially have no faith <laughs> in their good word or their promises and so what kind of led you to that like what what happened in 71 you know what i mean yeah. like what kind of took place for you uh to say you know what i don't know if i can just trust them at their word and believe that everything will be okay and that you can trust in the credit system and in the dollar so on and so forth right so honestly literally what we're doing right now <laughs> is going through my my personal mind over time yeah and these questions led me to more questions yeah which led me to answers but i had to keep doing some digging yeah so to really ask the to really answer your question we really had to talk about the central banking system exactly. as we know it yeah. and why it was created and why it was founded to really yeah. understand where we're at today yeah. and all of this i promise by the time i get through it yeah it will it will illuminate that but um so let's let's talk about it really quick so the central bank yeah was created in 1913 yeah so what happened prior to that to facilitate the central bank um let's go back a little further 1890 john morgan and people might know him as the founder of jp morgan mm -hmm. which is the largest like banking institution in the u.s today so John Morgan, at the time, he was the second richest person to Rockefeller. And his, um, his compadres, I call them his John Morgan and co., right? Mm. They make a deal with President Cleveland to avert national default. Mm. So at this time, the U.S. government was essentially broke. Mm. They, um, so because of foreign, foreigners, right, they, they started you know, quickly selling U.S. bonds, yeah. right? And they wanted the gold. So it started to drain the yeah. treasury reserves. Yeah. That the U.S. had, so the U.S. was in a period of acute crisis, where they were worried about a national default. Yeah. So J.P. Morgan, John Morgan, he comes into this in this situation to provide liquidity. They actually go to private citizens. Mm -hmm. At this point in time, there's no central bank, yeah. and uh, to just uh, just to create a picture for, I mean, the listeners, mm -hmm. um, to really understand before the central bank, there were periodic bank runs. Mm -hmm. The, the thing that we created the central bank for was to provide stability to the mm. banking system. Yeah. But at this time, if one bank had a, had a crisis or had a bank run, it would create this, this panic mm. because there was a crisis of confidence. Yeah. And uh, because of the way e economics is interconnected, mm. um, when one bank struggled, mm. it became a national issue. Mm. Other banks started struggling, even if they didn't have any issue. Yeah. And uh, before the central bank was created, we had many panics. And periods of prolonged depression. Um, 1873 is one. There was a panic of 1873, panic of 1890, yeah. panic of 1893, and a panic of 1907. Yeah. So 1907 was kind of the final straw where they finally developed the political will to create a central bank. Now, they're, they're not the first to create a central bank. Um, the Dutch have done it before in like the 16, um, 1600s. Yeah. And then the British Empire as well had a central bank. So it wasn't something new to them. I, I think the... Yeah. Yeah, that's not it, how they're doing things. Yeah. In my opinion, the way... The, my assumption is the U.S. government got independence from Britain. So taking systems gotcha. that the British Empire... Uh, to that's emulate them was that's kind of... Yeah. For them, it's kind of like, I don't know. This is what know? we are running away from. This exactly. is what we're trying to escape. And now we're... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so at this time, the reason they needed J.P. Morgan to come government is because the government didn't have as much powers as it does today mm. 
It didn't have the ability to levy income tax mm. and it needed congressional approval for to issue bonds. Mm. Nowadays, that's not the case. So they had very yeah. limited powers. Good. Yeah. And so the central bank was created and it, and it was given a policy initiative. It was to manage inflation, um, to provide uh, economic stability and to uh, make sure employment was intact. So the central bank is the bankers of last resort is the best way to think about them. And they started off as a means to, to fund World War I. Mm. And um, it's really important to understand the origins of the central bank, to understand where we're at yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and the system and how it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So fast forward, man, there's just there's so much there. Yeah. But that's just kind of an overview of how yeah. the central banks came into place. Right. And then fast forward to. Yeah. yeah. So like you were saying, fast forward to 1971. Yeah. What happened in 1971, right? Yeah. And and by the way, just as a reference, as a good resource, if Check you get out, <laughs> yeah, go go to www.wtfhappened1971.com, and there's graphs and, and, graphs and excessive analysis on this stuff, and you'll see why 1971 was such an important historic moment, not just for the U.S. but also for the world. Yeah. So let, let's uh, let's talk about it. So let's do it. Nixon, like I said, took us off of the gold standard. At this time, when we um, when we were off the gold standard, there was an there was only about an eight percent um, relation between the gold in the reserves and uh, the currency that was actually circulating. So what I mean is they had a eight percent of the amount of dollars in circulation in their gold reserves. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that it was still back to back on a one to one ratio, and it actually was never the case. They went yeah. from 40% when yeah. the system was introduced during Bretton Woods in 1944 to 8% when they took us off. Yeah. And the reason why this was such a really important moment is because this essentially made sure and it definitive, definitively made sure that the U.S. government never would have a hard constraint on their creation of money. Mm -hmm. Because what the gold served as was a hard constraint because mm -hmm. there's only a certain finite amount. Yeah. Gold is a scarce commodity. Yeah. And without that scarcity or with that, without that peg, yeah. they're allowed to, you know, create money at will yeah. and have no constraints. No constraints so yeah. if you look at the graphs on that website, yeah. you'll see that this is really when inflation went crazy. Yeah. When uh, my money supply really ballooned, when debts really ballooned, it, it was when we came off of the gold standard. Yeah. Um, Yikes. Yeah. Because yeah. there's no end, essentially. There's no limit. Yeah. Yeah. So... If it's not uh, scarce, right, if there's no scarcity, mm -hmm. it's kind of like no telling, you know, how much we can print, how much we can give, how much we can, right? And yeah. so devaluing what money should be and what, what money had been, uh, what money had been until that point. Yeah. yeah. And scarier than that, you're absolutely right. But scarier than that is the, uh, the decision making is in the hands of a few people in a room. We're talking like individuals. Yeah, yeah. You know the the board of governors that actually meet. Um, it's only it's only seven of them. Wow. In the board yeah, of governors, yeah. so yeah. within the central banking kind of infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. But uh, what's scarier than the you know ability to print money as well is people are making these policy decisions, and they're motivated by things maybe something maybe what you and I are not really considering right, yeah. but they could be motivated by the simplest of things. But it affects millions of people. Mm. And they're making decisions. Is it in your best interest? Yeah. Whose best interest is it? Yeah. In? Yeah. So that's my fundamental kind of problem with this current system mm -hmm. and the Federal Reserve mm -hmm. is 
that a, a few amount of people are making mm-hmm. decisions for millions. Mm-hmm. You saw the social dilemma, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You have a few, these technology companies yeah. and a few people who are designing the app, trying to make you, you know, get your attention and things like that. It's a few people making this the decision for what millions of people will see. Yeah. And um, if you there's a there's a kind of a term in propaganda. We can't tell you what to think, but we can tell you what to think about. Yeah. yeah. And that happens. In, in the social dilemma, yeah, yeah. you see elements what of that. But in our feed. And yeah. yeah. What, what, what we believe is true is based on what the algorithm feeds exactly. us. Yeah. But to the same degree, I would argue the Federal Reserve does the same. Mm. And not in the sense of thinking, mm. but in the sense of doing and how we interact mm. with our money mm. is based on the way they push and pull the system mm. to get it to do what they want. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens? It goes, you know, from 40% to 8%. How do they solve this? Like, what does Nixon and his administration, what's the guy, the, the Secretary of State? Henry Kissinger. Yeah. Henry Kissinger. What does he do? Like, how do they go about this? All right. I got it. So, yeah. <laughs> perfect. So, the gold standard is unsustainable. Yeah. And the U.S. government knows that. Yeah. Um, but when they, but what, one thing they really liked about the gold standard is the dependence on the dollar system. Yeah. As So, the dollar hegemony in the world, right? Yeah. So, the... So what Nixon and a lot of Washington elites kind of pushed the administration to do is, well, how do we create a, a new global monetary order? Because yeah. we have to move from the gold back system. But how do we create a system where we still have mm. the dependence of the world mm-hmm. on the dollars that we finance and that we create, right? Yeah. So the solution was the petrodollar system. Yeah. And uh, the petrodollar system was basically Henry Kissinger, the Secretary of State during the Nixon administration, yeah goes to Saudi Arabia and cuts a deal with the Saudi royal family. Oh, oh with the family. With the with Saudi the royal, royal family. Because <laughs> the reason Saudi Arabia is really significant is because they produce the most amount of oil yeah. at the time. Yeah. I think they still do. But the yeah. U.S., because of fracking and stuff, is really up there as well. Yeah. But at the time, Saudi Arabia was the largest oil producer. Yeah. So the U.S. and uh, Nixon and Kissinger, especially Kissinger, yeah. he understands that... Um, after gold, what's the most important commodity? The dollar. Oil. Or sorry, yeah, the yeah. oil. Yeah, yeah. Oil. And who has the most of it? Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So how do we leverage Saudi Arabia to facilitate a system where we still have control? Yeah. And what they came up with is they, they like again, they cut a deal with the Saudi royal family and they said we'll provide military support mm-hmm. and we'll make sure Israel stays in check. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about any geopolitical considerations like that. And will provide you weapons. Mm. So, from Saudi Arabia's perspective, it um, given their geopolitical considerations mm. with Iran and some adversaries, they were able to feel a lot more secure. Mm. And the U.S. was also guaranteeing protection of the oil fields yeah. as well. Yeah. So that's a really sweet deal for Saudi Arabia. All they got to do is price their oil in dollars, in dollars and take their revenues and store them in the banks, in, in the banks here in the U.S. Yeah. Exactly. But what Kissinger knew and what ended up happening is not only is the oil priced in dollars when they transact with us, it's priced in dollars when they're when they're exporting to other nations as well. And all these nations need this commodity. Oil is not just, you know, not just, you know, with cars and things like oils and oils and so many things, plastics. And, you know, they've been able to create so many products. I, I guarantee you most products you'll see in a store. Yeah has some component of oil, oil in it. it. Yeah. 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 So 
So that that Man. that system is created. It's crazy. And it's crazy. What crazy, we really man. have to think about though is what does this mean for countries that are not the US? Mm-hmm. Let's take France, for example. Mm-hmm. If you are it means you have to purchase mm-hmm. these imports mm-hmm. in dollars. Mm-hmm. How do you get dollars mm-hmm. that France can't create? Mm-hmm. There's that dependence where only the central bank, the Federal Reserve here in the U.S. Yeah. can create the U.S. dollar currency. And this is where you see the power now coming to, to us. Leverage. Well, 1890 or was it, um, what was it, 1891 or forgetting the when, when they had to um, take money from, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, J.P. Morgan? J.P. Morgan. Yeah. They didn't have power. This is now where you start seeing the power being. Yeah, I believe it was 1895. Sorry, 18. What did I say? 1891. Yeah, yeah, 1895. This is where you start seeing the money or the power come into play. Is now look who they got to turn. Who who do people have to turn to to, you know, get something as simple or as uh, um, uh, as as oil, something that's needed, something that's essential. In order to purchase this, you got to come to us, thus establishing power. Right. Because now that was in less than a hundred years. Right. And that's so not only does it mean that oil is priced in dollars, what ended up happening is a lot of commodities follow that as well mm-hmm. in our price in dollars. And even today, most global denominated debt is in dollars. Yeah. To the tune of I think I have it here is like twelve point one trillion. trillion trillion in dollar-denominated debts outside of the United States, facilitated because of this transition into the petrodollar system, was the first kind of inception of this. And uh, so so let's break it down really quick with, um, like with my example with France, right? So if you're buying imports in oil, you need dollars. So not only can you not get dollars and create it yourself, um, you need to rely on the U.S., Mm -hmm. like we were saying, right? But also... When you think about their account balances, it was beneficial to them as well to borrow in dollars because they would get lower interest rates. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just about buying oil, but it's also investing in infrastructure and things like that. All debt was denominated primarily in dollars. Um, So if you think about it, they uh, for their current account balances within their central banks, they need to manage this because they have a lot of dollar denominated debt. Mm -hmm. They also need to on the asset side because that's a liability, right? Because what if you have a lot of dollars denominated debt and the dollar gets stronger? That makes the debt more expensive to pay back in real terms. So you need to, so on the yeah. on the asset side, yeah. you also need to hold dollars in reserves yeah. to counteract that. Yeah. So in periods where there's a strong dollar yeah. and your debts become more expensive in real terms, you also have dollars in reserves that are getting stronger right. and vice versa the other way around. Yeah. But uh, the petrodollar system, that's where it originated. Yeah. And that's kind of the system that we're in right now. Yeah. Crazy. So um, this is how we got here. The opposite took place. The value of the dollar did not increase. It's decreasing. How do we get here? I know we touched on this just a little bit, but this even plays into what we wanted to establish in this podcast altogether. Why we got to be careful how we move, whether it's saving or investing. Um, But before we jump into that, yeah, quite the opposite happened where the dollar didn't become, um, you know, the asset didn't rise with the dollar. It actually decreased. Why did it decrease? Yeah. And what what do we need to do with that knowledge? (laughs) 
Perfect. So before I jump into that, just a couple. So I mentioned how in 1913, the central bank system was created. And since then, the dollar has debased 96%, right? But another thing to also consider is what has gold done since we got off the peg? Yeah. Because it's interesting to know, okay, Mm -hmm. we understand, you know, the dollars have debasing, but okay, what, what about gold? The price of gold was fixed at $35 an ounce in 1971. When we got off the gold standard, we are now, uh, it's about 1930 an ounce, $1,930 an ounce. So relatively speaking, gold has gotten stronger mm-hmm. over time mm-hmm. and the U.S. dollar has debased over time. Yeah. So it's kind of, they're, they're kind of moving like. And you would argue too, a part of that has to do with scarcity. Right. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. With the way we're like the Federal Reserve is printing and. Yeah. Just the credit, all of that. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. I mean, so go ahead. Go I was going to say, yeah, if you think about it, like what happens when things become too abundant? Yeah. They become valueless. Yeah. Think about it like this, like in terms of technology, right? Yeah. Uh, when technology becomes abundant or producing it becomes essentially f- almost free to produce, like there's little cost to produce, what happens to things? They become free. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah, scarcity has value. Has value. And too much abundance, things become free. Why? Why is oxygen free? Because <laughs> it's endless. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why is sunlight free? <laughs> you get where I'm going? Yeah. 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 So, gold. The value of gold increases. The dollar decreases. Has been debasing. Has been debased. And you said by ninety six percent. Yeah. Since 19. Since the formation of the central bank. So since 19, was that 1913? 1913. Sorry. Yeah. My dates are all over the place. You're good. All right. So fast forward now to 2020. Yeah. Let's talk about the present market dynamics. When, what does that mean? Yeah. Right. So what does that mean relative to today? Yeah. So like we were mentioning the currency, the U S currency has debased. Yeah. And the value has gone down partly because not only is the U.S. printing because of the COVID, like we had a we had a problem. There was there was a crisis already before COVID. Yeah. Now it's an acute crisis. Mm-hmm. But not only are they trying to stimulate the U.S. economy yeah. by providing, uh, you know, incentives, you know, for right. for the businesses, right? The grants and they're not even really loans anymore. Most yeah. of them are are forgiven. Yeah. But I uh, think like to Boeing and things of that nature. But um. Also to to the unemployment and the stimulus checks that they're sending out. Yeah. Not only is this happening on the domestic level, they're also printing mm. because other countries, like remember we were talking about the France dollar export. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Other, uh, those other countries are short dollars to service their debts. Yeah. So the Federal Reserve actually has swap lines mm. with other central banks like the ECB, the Bank of Japan. They have swap lines where... Basically, they send we send U.S. currencies to them yeah. to hold, and we ended up we end up holding relatively the same amount in their currencies. Yeah, but we're doing that because these countries and these businesses that are struggling in Europe, for example, aren't struggling and they need euros. They're struggling and they need dollars. And yeah. why? Because their debts are denominated in dollars. Mm. So to service them, they created these swap lines. Yeah, but yeah. um. That's one of the market dynamics is the whole world is printing right now and debasing their currencies. Yeah. So one thing to consider is even though the dollar is debasing, mm-hmm. all the other um, fiat currencies, which is other government-backed currencies, 
are devaluing great to a greater degree. So our position is actually better relative to other <laughs> relative to other co- countries. Yeah. So even though the dollar is debasing, part of the reason we haven't felt it yet is because all the countries' currencies are debasing as well. Yeah. And even though we printed so much money, yeah. there's an appetite for that money. Yeah. So we haven't felt any of the inflationary effects. Right, right. But what the government is desperately trying to do is to create inflation yeah. because we are kind of in a deflationary spiral. Mm. And what I mean by that is businesses have been forced to close down because of COVID. Yeah. You have people on unemployment. Yeah. You have people scared and there's a crisis of confidence. People are saving more, even though saving is a fool's game. Mm-hmm. People are saving more and there's a lot of cash on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. And people are not going out. They're not consuming as much. Yeah, they're afraid. All, yeah. yeah. And yeah. all that is deflationary pressure. Yeah, yeah. And that's bad because the U.S. government debt, part of the reason going back to 1971, government debt has ballooned. Mm-hmm. But not just government debt, household debt as well. Yeah. And uh, business debt as well. Corporate debt has ballooned as well. And in a deflationary environment, this is bad because I told you when there's deflationary pressure, debt is more expensive to pay back in real terms. So if we have too much, if we have deflation, the government would really be hard pressed and their hands would be tied behind their backs because they have a ridiculous amount of debt and it's growing. It's grown in every cycle. And then, and then now, like in a deflationary environment, it would be even more possibly impossible to yeah. pay back. Yeah. In my opinion, impossible to pay back. Yeah. And it's not going to be paid back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, how could it be paid back? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So debt just outrageous. People are afraid to spend. People are saving. You said it's a fool's game. Do you want to get into that before we continue? Or? I think I talked about it already a little bit Just, but like yeah be, the reason savings is a fool's game is yeah. because they're they're not giving you a rate of return for having your money in those bank accounts there you go but at the same time and this might not be felt right now but at the same time for most of the past 80 years there has been inflation yeah. so if there's more inflation and you're not getting a, a rate of return above that inflation your money's being eroded over time yeah so think about it this way if you had $10,000 in savings five years ago, how much in terms of purchasing power yeah. is your $10,000 today? Yeah. So nominally, so by nominally, I mean the actual line statement might say 10000 right. But relative to from 2015 till now, that 10000 won't get you as far as it used to. Mm. It definitely won't. Yeah. I think the uh, if I, last time I checked, inflation between 2015 and 2020, so just in a five-year period, it's almost like 14%. That's crazy. So it is a full, like a save, lot of money. Yo. Unless you, unless you, you should have a, ch- like, here's my advice. You should have a checking account for your bills, for the necessities, for you to be able to provide short term if something happens. Emergency. And then, yeah, yeah. And then maybe a modest savings account just for, you know, a rainy day or if anything happens. But aside for that, most of your money, if it ends up being in a savings account or in a checkings account, you're playing a fool's game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we we spent we we've been here for a minute, and we don't want to take too much more of people's time. But what do you think is going to happen next? Just what's the trajectory we're on yeah. when you think about what has happened from nineteen thirteen, really from like the eighteen eighteen ninety five mm-hmm. um, to two thousand twenty? 
you know, yeah, we, we spent, well, you spent like 45 minutes just breaking down the history yeah. of it all. Right. What does that mean moving forward? And why is that important information for us? Got you. Yeah. So to, to really, um, to be able to answer that question effectively, there's and one. Hold on, not to interrupt you too, just in case we get sued out here. This is not like just yeah this is not investment advice this is not investment advice i can't be responsible for your pay we're not, <laughs> we're just um it's just like we're having a conversation on wax essentially right. and so we're you know you know we don't want to you know mislead anyone but this is based off the information based off um some of the things we've seen the trends we've seen this is kind of like a prediction and we'll see what happens. But we have, you know, we have probable evidence for why we think things are going to unfold the way it's going to unfold. I just had to put that out there before you continue. No worries. I understand. Yeah. You got to cover your bases. Got to cover, you know, just in case. Yeah. Right. Um, so to really, before I can tell you how to, you know, how I'm positioning myself or how to go. best position yourself. Yeah. You really have to understand one concept. So I'm going to really break this down really quick. It will be really quick. Yeah. So there are short-term business cycles and there are long-term debt cycles. Yeah. And the reason why our economy has cycles is because we introduce credit. Yeah. So if you think about what does credit do? Yeah. It allows you to spend in the present of money that you didn't have, right? Yeah. So if you think about it, you're pulling future productive, uh, future ability that you might have had when you had the money in the future and pulling it into the present yeah so if i didn't have the 50 dollars or whatever and i use it on my credit card what i'm saying is there's some point in the future mm -hmm. where i'm going to pay my credit card back mm -hmm. so my spending gets to increase in the present moment but it's going to decrease at some future moment yeah. when i when i pay that back yeah. now if it wasn't for um credit in the system how would you make more money yeah. the only way would be to increase your productivity yeah. Because as you're more productive, you, more. you would make more money yeah. and therefore you could spend. Yeah. And that system is like, it's probably the healthier system, yeah. but you, it moves very slowly. Mm. So in order to, to kind of hack the system, to yeah. expedite two things that really expedited productivity and all the innovation we have to some degree was not only the inflation that I mentioned, but it's also because of the, the ability to create credit, yeah. the ability to create debt. Yeah. And debt is not bad as long as it's manageable. Right. And th the problem is in America, we use debt as if debt is money. Mm. And at a point when it was first introduced, debt wasn't inherently bad. Yeah. It was a stopgap. Yeah. What I mean by that is if you were a business and you were slightly struggling, you could take on some debt and it would help, you know, finance business continuity. Yeah. And if you're a family, if you're struggling in the short term, yeah. you need a, you need a little bit of credit to, you know, buy something or get yourself through a tough season. Right. It was a stopgap for family continuity yeah. and uh, and the individual as well. The problem is we see debt today yeah. as money yeah. and it's, it's, it's not, not money, money at all. Yeah. So what we've seen is like a lot of these asset prices rising exponentially. Right. Mm -hmm. We've seen the stock market explode. The housing market is still is still hot. Yeah. And um, the inflation is going to these asset prices. Mm -hmm. Because people are scrambling to put their money towards a place where it's not going to erode. Right. Because uh, they're, they're worried about inflation and they're worried about this crisis. So yeah. it's, it's, it's funneling into stocks. And that's yeah. why we see the prices going up. Yeah. And it's funneling into the housing market. 
and, and you know, things of that nature. Yeah. But one thing that's interesting is even though the it looks like the stock market is soaring and you see President Donald Trump saying the stock market is soaring, yeah. things are really good. They're not because if you if you actually chart the stock market yeah. relative to gold and not into the dollar, yeah. you'll see it's not the stock market that I, that's actually pumping. Man. It's a dollar that's pumping. Yeah. And in gold, the stock market is actually down. Yeah. So in a real asset, because I don't think to me, the dollars ain't nothing. Yeah. So in a in a in a real asset like gold, yeah. the stock market is actually not performing well. Yeah. But you see that political manipulation to make you think it's in the hands of politicians. Yeah. And this is not just a one-sided thing. Donald Trump saying the stock market is up, but then you also have Joe Biden saying he saved us from the last recession. Yeah. And I saw that on Twitter. I was like, no, you, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. you didn't. Yeah. I literally tweeted. I was like, I tweeted at him. I was like, <laughs> you did not, you and Obama did not resolve the recession. You moved it to the sovereign level mm. because in the 2000s, yeah. the problem was in equities. It was a tech bubble. Yeah. And then it leaked into the housing sector with yeah. subprime mortgages. Yeah. And there was a banking, uh, there was an insolvency event yeah. in 2008. Yeah. And then all they did is just move it on from that. Yeah. So after 2008, it moved to the sovereign level. Yeah. And now the federal government holds all this on their, the central bank, sorry, yeah. holds all of this on their balance sheet. Yeah. And so the crisis has just been shuffled into, into higher and higher levels, yeah. but it's never been solved. Yeah. Yikes. So what you're saying is we're in a crisis. <laughs> we're in a, in a huge crisis. And that's what, um, also that's what a lot of economic, uh, um, uh, so what's the word? People that are uh, I'm forgetting the the term. The study economics, um, macroeconomics. No, just all together. Anyways, those who kind of study economics, economists, economists. I was like, why? <laughs> I was like, I was gonna say a word, but it didn't sound right. So I was like, let me not even. Uh, but economists, they're all saying we're in a crisis and things are getting worse. Um, I I don't know if people any are actually, any economist worth his salt. Yeah. There's some that are, you know, trying to create different theories and yeah. But any economist worth worth the salt. Yeah. So this is serious. Yeah. What is that? Just to wrap up here, um, just you know, thirty thousand feet in the air, you know, what what's a practical thing to do with all this information? We spent about an hour, you spent about an hour breaking down the history. Um, you know, the, just kind of how we got to this place, um, and to just end it or leave it off as, yo, we're in a crisis. Good luck. It's kind of unfortunate, but what does that mean? Like how should you, you were, you were stating, you were getting at this idea of what you would be doing or how you're moving. Um, how could someone steward their finances or how should someone who's listening to this and who loves the Lord and wants to be a kingdom builder wants to be someone that, uh, you know, leaves an inheritance for their children's children, someone that wants to um, help push back poverty and fight against injustice for someone that is listening and wants to ensure that they don't um, go broke. Um, how are you moving and what do you think is wise in your opinion in light of everything that just kind of, you know, was said and everything that you broke down and everything that's been happening, everything that is happening and everything that might happen moving forward. Right. So we understand we're in a crisis. Yeah. We understand that the debt to GDP has grown to under 35%. Yeah. 
So we're in, we're in a uh, we're in a currency crisis, yeah. and uh, what I foresee happening, maybe not in the short term, but in this decade for sure, and I believe it might be sooner than that, maybe yeah. in the next two to five years, there's going to be a currency crisis. And remember Gresham's law: when currencies become corrupt, corrupt. they eventually, you know, they get Collapse. swapped out. Yeah. And I believe we do have that new money system mm. that we can re- we can revert to we can move to that would facilitate and protect us from what's going to happen. And so I guess what I, what I'm doing is, so I don't have a savings account, full transparency. Mm. All, um, all my money is in actual Bitcoin. And uh, if you guys don't know what Bitcoin is, you're definitely going to have to do the research because I'm not able to, to fully go into that right now. now, But we understand that this current system, just like in 1944, they understood it was not tenable anymore mm-hmm. and they needed to move into a new system. There is going to be a, a new system. Yeah. Right. And we are at like Bitcoin has already been around for a decade. Yeah. But it's now um, if you guys don't know Michael Saylor, Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy, um, he's the CEO and founder of this public company. They invested four hundred twenty five million dollars into Bitcoin. Yeah. And if you guys know Jack Dorsey, he's the founder of Twitter, Twitter yeah. also the founder of Square. They've invested 1% of their assets, mm. which is $50 million in Bitcoin. And another company just recently today has moved in this direction today. as well. Wow. Yeah. So what I'm trying to highlight is the move is already happening towards a new system. Businesses are seeing it. Individuals are seeing it. And Bitcoin, just like Facebook, just like, Net- just like Netflix, is a technology that grows through network effects. Mm. And as more people use it, it becomes more solidified. The protocol becomes more yeah. stable. Yeah. And uh, I think the reason this is so important right now, especially um, given all the political things that are happening, but a lot of the things that are happening socially and within our, our communities, right? Yeah. I think Bitcoin is really important for the African community mm. and uh, African diaspora, but the African-American community, actually my heart pulls the most for them because... Um, they've never received reparations, right? Mm-hmm. Native Americans have, Japanese Americans have, sure. African Americans have never s- received reparations. Yeah. And there's always this kind of hope that maybe there'd be some political will mm-hmm. of, you know, you know, government might step in mm-hmm. and fix the racial disparity. I'm not saying it's just an economic thing. Mm-hmm. It's way bigger than that. But Bitcoin is the closest thing to reparations that we're going to see. And you can, you can quote me on that. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think if we are able to exit this financial system, and this is the middle class, this is the millennials that have been screwed over by the baby boomer generation that facilitated all this mess, yeah. we need to say that this financial system is broken mm. and we're not, we're not we're no longer going to play by these rules. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, man, I think Bitcoin is super integrated into how I see the future and how I'm positioning myself. Yeah. And I think going back to the, to the purpose we were talking about kingdom economics and what we want to do if we if we had money right yeah i think bitcoin is a tremendous probably once in a lifetime opportunity yeah, for Literally. us to to get the kind of purchasing power to get the kind of value yeah out of bitcoin to, for us to be able to redeploy it right yeah so i think in terms of community building the mission statement of what we want to use money for and the ability to finance um, uh, objectives that we might have, but not just for ourselves, yeah. 
but also I think it's super important for us as as black people, right? Because mm-hmm. um, we talked about so many of the challenges that are facing our communities, mm-hmm. right? Not coming from money, um, be you know maybe mistreatment mm-hmm. within employers and getting jobs and stuff mm-hmm. within schools, just systems and structures yeah, that yeah. are not for us. Yeah, Bitcoin is a neutral reserve asset yeah. that nobody controls. So yeah. if it does, and I believe it will. Create this fundamental shift in a, in a paradigm of how we see value and how we see money. Yeah. It's our ability to kind of create infrastructure for our communities. For, uh, you know, in my, in my opinion, in some ways, from the ground up, because yeah. we didn't we didn't have these legacy systems yeah. to rely upon to uh, to the benefit of our communities. And yeah. we are gonna we're definitely gonna be the ones. Yeah, and the only ones that are probably that are gonna help us. You know, like yeah. who else is gonna come for us? So. Yeah. Hey, there is no there is no heroes just heroic actions <laughs> there is no savior <laughs> there is my bad i didn't mean it like that <laughs> yeah oh my gosh all right yeah, jesus can't save you out of this economic fit is what you said huh? yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah everything you said just got <laughs> no i get what you're saying though yeah yeah uh, yeah, he's like, I forgot we're on a Christian podcast. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, no, at the end of the day, like, you know, what, what, what we're talking about is, you know, it's not just save, invest, um, what have you, but it, it is this idea that, okay, we're in a unique time, you know, we're under unique, um, circumstances. Um, there's a way out. Like you said, once in a lifetime opportunity and why not, um, yeah, with all the information that's kind of been shared, um, and where we're at and where we're headed. And, and this is stuff too, like we would, um, encourage all of our listeners to do research on, right? Like Um, dig, dig deeper, dig deep. um, Look at, look at, you know, Bitcoin might not be the only thing that you can invest in this time. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, there's Bitcoin. I mean, there's gold. The most important thing is look at assets that are hard tangible assets yeah um real estate maybe if it gets if it gets repriced might yeah. be a good opportunity holding some cash on the side as yeah. well yeah. to be able to deploy when yeah. when the repricing happens yeah whether it's the stock market because it's going to have to reprice yeah yeah. Um, yeah land yeah and real estate and yeah but uh in this point in time particularly i think gold and bitcoin are the ones to do your research on yeah i'm just thoroughly convinced that bitcoin is a better gold but yeah do your research do your research yeah and then like you know at the end of the day you know what we want to do is position ourselves so that we can write that kingdom economics right so that we could be um yeah people of impact people that have um you know opportunities to serve the disenfranchised so that we can position ourselves to um, create healthy churches, communities, families, so on and so forth. And can I can I just say one thing? Yeah, go for it. So, just adding on to that, I think it's not just about Bitcoin and potentially investing in this once lifetime thing that like might blow up, right? Yeah. It's bigger than that. It's the research is investing in yourself. Yeah. But also the most important takeaway is with economics in regards is is invest in yourself, right? Yeah. But not just for yourself, but your community really does need you, right? Yeah. Your friends need you. Your people need you. So yeah. investing in yourself is not just to the benefit of yourself no. and advancing knowledge. But if you advance that wealth, it can translate yeah. into materially benefiting your community. And like I said, nobody's going to come for our communities like, like we will. Yeah. We have to step up. We do have to step up. 
And um, yeah, I mean, I think Jesus, the number one thing he talked about was money and hell. But, you know, a lot of the times when he's talking about money, he's talking about stewarding our money. And so just look into, you know, again, everything that was discussed, fact check, do your own research. But I think what plays into being a good steward of your finances is understanding the economic state that we are in so that we can make proper decisions moving forward. And again, we said this at the beginning of the podcast, but this is just to get the conversation started. Thank you now for joining us. Let us know in the comment section, DM me, DM him. If you want a part two, if you want to maybe even expand, I know we, there was so much content. So we just kind of brushed through a lot of things, but if you guys want us to look in depth a little bit more at, at a particular thing that was brought up, let us know. Um, yeah, again, we didn't really get into the theology side of things. We just wanted part two, they're already calling for it. We just wanted to, again, fact check everything, but bring you up to speed as to where our economy is at and what the the future might look like in light of that information. And uh, yeah, I hope this bless you. I hope this encourage you. Thank you now for dropping your gems, dropping the mic. My pleasure. You know, uh, always a pleasure having you until next time, family. Peace, Peace out. <laughs>